0: I'm attorney Barry
1: Boykin. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson.
0: And thank you, listeners, for joining us on another episode, episode 33 of our podcast, Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters.
1: Well, it's really good to be here again with you, Barry. And we've invited a very special guest to be with us, attorney Mark Broaddus, who is with us today. Welcome, Mark. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Glad to be here. Now, Mark, I've known you for about three years, about, about three years, and uh, I have gotten to know you. Can you tell those of us out there who haven't met you a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, happy to. I've uh, been practicing law in Illinois since 1991. I am uh, describe myself primarily as a uh, probate lawyer. So I deal with issues involving families with guardianship, death, and dying-related issues. Do a lot of litigation involving estates and trusts but uh, uh primarily an old fashioned probate lawyer with uh, which deals with all the 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 issues that arise in relation to uh again guardianship, decedent estates and disabled adults matters
1: Now you said you've been an attorney since nineteen ninety one uh, What ever led you to become an attorney?
2: Well, years ago when I was still young and uh, wanting to save the world uh i I I came to Chicago and was uh, initially a staff attorney uh, with the Chicago Volunteer Legal Services, uh, kind of ran their minor, minor guardianship referral program and circumstances moved over and was a staff attorney with the Cook County public guardians office for a number of years uh, dealing primarily with uh, disabled adult guardianship matters and, uh, then moved into private practice and really have just been, uh, it's been my area of practice uh, ever since. Uh, I've been uh, i I'm, I'm currently a, a senior partner with Chueck and Texan. It's a mid-sized law firm in the, in the loop in Chicago. Again, my practice primarily being estate and trust related work. I, I'm not sure I set out to be a probate lawyer. It was one of those things that just kind of happened but it's been a good career, enjoyable, uh, enjoyable work, unbelievable circumstances. I say often I couldn't make this stuff up if I tried.
1: So have you been practicing uh, since 91 here in the Chicago area?
2: Yes, yes. I, uh, I graduated from the University of Louisville School of Law in 1991 and took the bar here and uh, have been uh, an Illinois lawyer ever since. I often joke, I'm the second most famous Illinois lawyer from Kentucky. (laughs) Well, you know, I would never have guessed
1: from, you know, you've lost all your accent from Kentucky. (laughs) Is there anything that people should know beyond your legal career and experience? Something that would, uh, you know, show you to be the average regular guy that I know you to be?
2: You know, I'm married. I have one daughter. Uh, live in the western suburbs. Uh, you know, my passion outside of the law is scuba diving. I've been diving for a little over 20 plus years and uh, has given me an opportunity really to travel and see the world. And if I'm lucky, I get to sneak away two or three times a year to do do a little diving some exi- in some exotic location. My daughter's 14 now, so I've uh, recently been able to introduce her to to it as well and really excited to uh uh, watch her grow up and share that experience with her as well but other than that i'm kind of your average joe work uh work every day and come home and walk the dog (laughs) and uh so when you get
1: away it's not just a scuba dive alone right if i understand correctly from your stories you go with big crew of people is that right
2: you know actually i've been very lucky i fell into uh a diving club that is run by what was the first and only now African-American scuba shop owner in the United States. So Michael runs what is still probably the only primarily African-American run and uh, a club in the country. So it's a very diverse and interesting group of people from might be four or five of us to 30 of us, very diverse Group of people, it's been a fascinating opportunity.
1: We uh, we have brought you here because of your expertise in one aspect of probate law, and that is maybe a dark corridor of the law that very few people venture into. Maybe they, maybe a few people go in there with a candle held high, or maybe a, a flashlight whose batteries are failing. But it's a little known area of law, and that is guardianship. And I think you might agree that very few people know much about it. Is that right?
2: I think generally guardianship is something that uh, people don't understand anything about until some circumstances arise in their life that create the need for, uh, for guardianship. So, yes, I would say it's generally not a very well-known area. Before we go further,
0: this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one-on-one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now Now on on with on with the show.
1: Well, now, if people have heard about a guardian, it sounds like a guardian is someone that takes care of somebody else. That sounds so good. I mean, gosh, anyone would like to have... Like a guardian angel, someone taking care of them. It sounds so good, but it is a bit of control over someone's life. Now, if our listener is just sitting on the bus, sitting on the train, listening to our podcast, why should they even care about this area of law?
2: Well, it depends on the circumstances uh, specifically, but uh, typically, guardianship would <laughs> come up in a, a family circumstance either in relation to their children or in relation to their uh, their parents are the most general circumstances. So uh, in, in regards to their children, the circumstances that most often come up would be when a parent or both parents, if they're both uh, involved in a child's life, are unable or unwilling to care for the children. A lot of the circumstances I've seen would be Uh, single parents single mothers that have children when because of uh, mental health or addiction issues they're not able to care for their children and they might want a grandparent or other sibling to uh you know take custody of the child and raise them and you know without uh without the appointment of a guardian that other family member or friend doesn't have legal authority really to uh to consent for medical care, consent for placement in school uh, and uh, otherwise, you know, have authority over the children. So there's often a process then of petitioning a probate court for the appointment of that person in the position of guardian uh, in order to, again, to make medical decisions, enroll them in school. Um, There's a whole nother facet of if there's money involved, Uh, whether or not they they would have custody and control over assets that would be made available for the children. Um, Something most parents are not aware of is that as a parent in Illinois, you're not generally entitled or authorized to uh, receive and administer monies that would be payable on behalf of your child. uh, Generally, that exceeds ten thousand dollars. So if there's been an injury to the child or an inheritance to the child that they would receive outright uh, as a parent, the parents are generally not authorized to uh, administer or control that money. And there's a a mechanism, again, where they have to go petition the probate court to appoint them as the guardian. And quite frankly, in that case, then the court really becomes – the supervisor or overseer of those funds for the benefit of the child. And most most parents are not aware of that.
0: Now, Mark, I did have a question for you relating to uh, where your practice mostly takes place. So I get the idea from what you're telling us that most of your cases would be in probate division, but do you have any cases that take you to either domestic relations division or the domestic violence division?
2: Well, I, I don't really do that area of the work anymore. Uh, when I was, uh, younger and I worked for the public guardians office and I was a staff attorney in the adult disabled division, we would, uh, routinely get called into the domestic relations division. If one of the spouses, uh, was, uh, raised issues regarding their competency to participate in the proceedings, um, There are also uh, assistant public guardians that uh, are assigned to the Domestic Relations Division to uh, act on behalf of children that are involved in domestic relations proceedings if issues arise that the court thinks that the child needs an independent advocate.
1: So what I'm hearing you say is that sometimes a parent will be unable or unwilling to do what's needed. Yes. There'll be a parent, maybe a single mother, as you said, who is unable or unwilling to raise the child. And part of raising a child is to make decisions, medical, school, other decisions that sometimes they need a legal ability to make the decisions. I mean, let's say the mom says to grandma, her mom says, well, could you take care of little Cindy? I'm going through a rough patch. Can she stay with you for a while? And then it comes time to get medical care. And they say, well, who are you? Well, I'm her grandmother. Well, you can't consent to this procedure. We have to get the mom. So they could get hung up on making simple decisions, uh, medical decisions. They could even face a problem with the school, right? Trying to get things done with the school. Well, guardianship helps take care of that. Is that
2: right? In those circumstances, those would be the two most usual circumstances is the need to make medical care for the children in your custody <laughs> and uh Certainly in Chicago, uh, Chicago public schools won't let a grandparent that doesn't have uh, guardianship enroll, enroll the children for a missing parent. So that, that, that's a necessity.
1: So what I'm hearing you saying is, even if you're well-intentioned, you're the grandparent, you're the aunt, another family member, and you're simply stepping up to help, help raise the child in Chicago, they're going to say, who are you? And you say, well, the mom can't raise her so I'm helping and she's living with me I'd like to enroll her in the neighborhood school they're likely to say no and you're stuck and and so guardianship fixes that problem is that right
2: yes and and as you can imagine in Chicago you might go along where you've enrolled three of four kids and they don't say anything or you've had them in school for three years and you go back to enroll them in high school and uh, now they've changed the rules or somebody's decided they need, you know, they, they need that piece of paper. So it, it, it is one of the things that um, that can come up doesn't always. And in fact, I've had families that have raised children uh, or grandparents that have raised children and it's never come up, but it is uh, it is a circumstance that arises. Uh, and, and this is one of those mechanisms where guardianship works pretty easily. I mean, it is an administrative process It requires the filing of paperwork. And I believe in Cook County now there's a background check on the, the potential guardian and the parents uh, need to consent if their identity or their location is known. Um, but it can be done without an attorney in those circumstances, as long as there aren't uh, funds available or need, that need to be administered. Um gets a little bit more complicated when dollars get involved, but that's true about everything.
0: Now, I'd like to add something that I think Kevin missed, and that is that he talked about a potential guardian as being willing and able. But there's another aspect, and and Mark, you touched on it. And so really there are three that the potential guardian has to be fit, willing, and able. So you can have someone who's willing and able. They're competent to do the job but perhaps there's some unfitness. They were convicted felon. So if there's a background check, and the background check shows that they should not be a guardian, then they're knocked out of the box. And so all three, in my understanding, need to be present that the potential guardian has to be fit as well as willing and able. They can be physically able. Sometimes they're not physically able. So you have a guardian. If you have a grandmother taking over, is the grandmother uh, herself wheelchair bound? Uh, what kind of medication is she on? Uh, if there's a very active young child, you know, can that grandmother keep up with the child? <laughs> so, so a lot of grandmothers, of course, are very, very competent. Well, who makes that decision? Physically able can
1: I ask who makes that decision. You just mentioned that there could be a little uncertainty. Yeah. who 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 has to pass judgment on the fitness of a guardian? Who does that?
2: Well, that's done by the uh, the judge sitting in the uh, minors uh, court, and certainly in Cook County and in, in the, the collar counties, generally a the, the the sitting probate for sitting probate judge for the entire county hears all those cases. In Cook County, there's a specific uh, calendar assignment for minor guardianship, so it's it's that judge, and they often will. Uh, appoint a guardian ad litem which is an independent uh generally an attorney although the the statute doesn't require that it be an attorney can be a social worker that's qualified that right? that's interesting yes. because in divorce cases, custody cases it
1: must be an attorney but in you're saying guardianship a guardian ad litem that reporter
2: to the court doesn't have to be an attorney
1: that's interesting
2: yeah it's not statutory um in addition, the now we changed the we changed the law in Illinois a few years back. It used to be a, a felony conviction was an automatic disqualification. Uh, you, it, it's not an automatic disqualification anymore. There can be evidence presented to the court that uh, the person is still uh, appropriate to to serve, but it certainly makes the process more complicated. I have
1: been involved in contested cases of guardianship and. Uh, one i'm i still bear the scars of that because uh you can go to war over guardianship and and it can be said that the parents rights should be well in sense taken away not not really terminated but just you know we're going to take the child and put them with someone more suited to raise them who is that person well it's the guardian and and they're so much better equipped to handle the child against the parents wishes and I mean, how is that possible? Is there? It, does every parent have to live in fear that the well-meaning neighbor who sees you yell at your kid or, or maybe, maybe somebody down the block says, you know what, I have a big house. They have too many kids. I'd like little Bobby to live with me. Can they then file against you for a guardianship of your child?
2: The, the general answer to that is no. Uh, now, most cases that involve uh, the, what I'll call involuntary removal of a child from a parent don't get filed in the probate guardianship court. Those get filed in the, uh, child custody court, domestic violence or abuse courts, where there are allegations that the parent is unfit to continue to serve as the parent. And that becomes a, um, a, a contested judicial process now in the the probate court, I would say it is very rare for a minor guardianship to be done there where the parents' not consenting to the to the to the proposed guardian or the parents' whereabouts are just unknown, and certainly there are circumstances where children get abandoned. Uh, But those cases often end up in the uh, child custody division as well. But, uh, you know, the stories of people, your neighbors going down to court and filing for guardianship of your children are more urban myth than they are in reality.
0: Now, I do have a related question, Mark, and that is that have you ever had a it's been years and years since I've had a case, but uh, where there's been a, a MRAI filed uh mrei would be a uh, minor requiring authoritative intervention it used to be men's minors in need of supervision back 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 when i first started as an attorney and then the law changed and it became mrei and so you've got you've got a, a minor who is out of control and the parent may be willing and able and fit in some ways but cannot control in fact the in some cases the uh let's say the uh, teenager and the parent got into a fistfight and uh the the child was taken away uh by the authorities and so uh, and, and so it, and so what would be called the MRAI petition sometimes is filed uh where the uh, and maybe the parent doesn't really want the child anymore in some cases
2: yeah, those cases are generally, again, exclusively handled in the uh, juvenile custody division. Yeah. Uh, they're not, that's really not a civil case that would be heard in uh, the probate minorship court. In fact, the, the, if those cases were filed there, they would be uh, transitioned down to the uh, juvenile division. Um, and again, uh, in, in those particular cases, the child gets assigned attorney the parent gets an attorney there's a you know there's a, a, a essentially a, a state attorney a prosecutor so to speak uh and gen- generally there's also uh, a representative of uh the the child uh, custody division uh DCFS uh
1: so well, DCFS for our listeners is Illinois Department of Children and Family Services they're the child protection people in Illinois
2: yeah yeah you want want to stay out of Want <laughs> to stay out of cases involving DCFS in, in in Illinois if you can. So, if someone has a child and they're listening to
1: this podcast, they don't need to live in fear that someone's going to see them yell at their kid in the supermarket, or or think, you know, I could buy a better life for this kid, or you know, they've got four children and the neighbor wants to pick off one and maybe raise them, file a guardianship petition. We, sh- our parents listening to us, shouldn't really live in fear that someone's going to come in and a hostile petition for guardianship, right?
2: No, I, that's really not a realistic circumstance. No, I've
1: know, had I mean, that happen. I've had that happen. And I've <laughs> represented uh, at least one person in that situation. Okay, Mark, I've heard that something happens at age 14, that once a child is 14, if they would like to choose a guardian, they can choose a guardian. Does that mean a 14-year-old can say, mom, Thank you for raising me, but I'm going with Uncle Bert. He's going to be my guardian.
2: Can they just choose at age 14? Uh, no, <laughs> not as a, not as a general matter. The the 14 age uh, uh, distinction in Illinois, particularly for minor related matters, is is at 14. The the child, the minor, is considered to have uh, reached a, a level of maturity where they're stated preference and um not who their parent is because they you know uh seeking seeking you can't really you can petition the court for um what's the word i'm looking for uh emancipation 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 which is you know a whole different uh legal proceeding which says that you're you've reached a level of maturity where you don't need parental supervision or guidance but typically the the 14year the, the date it's the court will then allow the, the stated preference of the child to, 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 to essentially carry more uh, more more weight uh, and the reality is is that depending on the the level of maturity of the child you know that the, and the court's going to listen to them a little bit more at you know 10 11 12 13 14. Uh, it's not a real bright line, but no, a, a, a child obtaining the age of fourteen in Illinois does not give them the right to seek, uh, a, you know, uh, a new guardian and termination of the parental rights without a whole emancipation <laughs> right. process. So, well, well, but I understand that it's at the point where there's going to be
1: a guardian that's been decided. We're moving toward that. Then maybe there's a couple people eligible to be guardians. Maybe they both want to be. The court may discuss it or at least hear the input of the child as to which of these people the, the child would prefer, right? Wait yes. a minute,
0: Kevin, wait, wait. I think that in that instance, if there are multiple candidates, it seems to me, my, to my thinking, there would need to be multiple bids. There would have to be. Duplicate petitions. So the original petitioner, then another petitioner saying Oh right. I want to be considered for the job. Right, right. You because know, I, I should be the guardian and not and not Aunt Sally or grandma Lucy, <laughs> you know. It <laughs> right, should right. be me. Exactly.
1: So if the fourteen year old said, Well, I know Aunt Sally has petitioned to be my guardian, but I like Uncle Bert. He's got the motorboat and the lake cabin. I want to go with Uncle Bert. Unless Uncle Bert has filed a petition for guardianship, he's not on the menu, right?
2: yes, and and ultimately, that determination, even with the input of the child, is what's called a best interest determination. so really, the, the what the court does is it looks at all of those factors as who's available, who's willing, who's qualified. Uh, I think the court always takes into consideration what the child's input is. It gives a little bit more weight as they're more as they're older and have mm. more maturity. But the final determination is a best interest. What's best for the child? The reason I brought this up. Oh, oh
0: I, I wanted to, I wanted to chime in there with uh, actually, and I, and I would say it's, it's even rare in my experience. But I was just curious, Mark. In a case where, where the judges tells the parties calls everybody into the courtroom and says, "I've read the report from the guardian ad litem, and, and really, I want I want to choose none of the above. I, I don't I don't like any of you." No, you, you all seem to be motivated by your own self-interest and not the the ward. And I wish I had another alternative. Have you ever experienced that, Mark? In your well, unfortunately,
2: your unfortunately, I've seen families that have gotten into fistfights in the hallway, waiting yeah. for the cases to be called. And ultimately, when they're all drugged before the judge, after they've been pulled apart, the judge says, "I'm not going to appoint any of you." And, you know, unfortunately, the 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 other available options outside of the family really aren't, you know, first choice options. You know, there are agencies that the court can look to. But so there are those circumstances where the court says, look, I don't think any of you
0: are really really
2: good candidates. So uh, it it does happen. And and that's unfortunately, that's likely that's more likely to happen when there's money involved. Because control of the child generally is considered control of the money that kind of follows the child.
1: Well, it looks like we've run out of time for part one of this episode, so we'll continue in part two of episode 33, where we'll talk more about parents, children, money, power, disabled adults, and a few ideas about planning ahead so you can prevent a family meltdown and unnecessary litigation and attorney's fees. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson.
0: I'm attorney Barry Boykin.
2: I'm attorney Mark Broadus. Please join us in part two.